Hi, this is Heidi. Episode 8, Dealing with Difficult People. This podcast is for people seeking confidence, curiosity, and courage to live their best life. I'm glad you're here. Hey, y'all. I am so glad you're here for episode eight. First, a big thank you to all of you who have left ratings and reviews in iTunes. I appreciate it so much, and it gets me so much more excited to create more content and help people. One review was left by Kat Cardozo, and she said, This is a great podcast. Heidi shines a light on some of the habits and thoughts we have running in the background that don't really serve us and shows us opportunities and strategies for moving beyond them. It's like listening to your best friend cheer you on towards your best life. Isn't that awesome? Thank you so much, Kat. So please continue to add ratings and reviews, and I will randomly pick one person from all of the reviews left by Saturday, October 26th, and send them a $50 Amazon gift card just in time for the holidays. And also, please share this podcast on social media. A huge thanks to my dear friend, Tara, who shared this podcast on her Facebook page. And I've listened to podcasts now for many years, and I always get the best suggestions from my friends. So I'm grateful for all of you who share this podcast if you've found that it helps you, and how can it not? Okay, on to today's episode. I have been working on this topic and podcast of how to deal with difficult people for a while because all of the emotional and mental tools that I have been trained on and teach in detail to clients can help with this subject. And these tools can help us manage our emotions immediately. Like we can feel immediate changes on a daily basis. Now, we sometimes use phrases such as like, I work with toxic people, or I have negative members of my family, or I have difficult neighbors. And this episode is going to give you tools to manage your emotions with all of these people. Now, there are definitely people that we find it easier to be around. And then there are people that we find it harder to be around. And maybe people we choose to edit out of our lives. And that's fine. But having tools to manage our emotions around any person or situation is so helpful. Now, we all define difficult differently. There's no set in stone definition of someone who is difficult. What I find difficult is different from maybe personalities or mannerisms that you might find difficult to deal with. And I'm sure there are people who would define me as difficult and maybe people who have an opinion that you are difficult. Now, here's the thing. This is the good news is that there really are not toxic people or even difficult people in the world. There aren't. Now, I do know that there are people who have certain vibes about them, the way they carry themselves, dress, speak, act, mannerisms. All of us have that. But that vibe or energy or toxicity or so forth can't jump into our body or into somebody else's body. So a snake is just a snake 
until they bite us and the venom gets inside us. A scorpion is just another desert animal until they bite us. But guess what? People are not snakes or scorpions or the such. So unless you're around a lot of biting two-year-olds, you're not going to get bit by someone. People are not poison. They aren't toxic. They can't jump into our bodies and do harm. So with that being said, the only thing that harms us is what we think about how other people act. The judgments we make about what is acceptable or not acceptable, how we interpret what other people's actions mean about either our value, maybe our paranoia, if other people mean harm, even emotional harm to us. Those thoughts and more are what create the poison in our bodies. So there aren't annoying or toxic or difficult people. Why are these crazy people operating in the world around us who challenge our emotions? People who are different from us are actually our best learning experiences. They're the best class that we've signed up for here in life. A great skill is learning how to deal with a huge variety of people and personalities. So a difficult person really is a gift to us because they make us strengthen our mental and social skills, and they make us aware of our own insecurities. Now, before I talk about several awesome tips and tools for dealing with these people, I want to first explain several concepts and ground rules, if you will, that we need to understand as we apply these tools. Now, first of all, everybody else in the world, everyone, no exceptions, everyone gets to act the way they want to. Everyone doesn't have to change to meet our expectations or our definitions of how another person should behave. More often than not, our reasons why someone is difficult or toxic is because we don't agree with how they're acting in a situation. But when we realize that they have the right to act any way they want, we take back some power for analyzing our own reaction to these people. And knowing we can't and shouldn't try to change them, we then have the right to be and act however we want. And we get to act the way we want to or react to people. So just as we need to allow other people to be who they are, we also have the right and responsibility to be whatever way we want to be. So I asked a few people to tell me what difficult people do in their lives. And someone said that a difficult mother-in-law doesn't allow any variations in holiday traditions. Somebody said a difficult coworker only works behind a closed door and doesn't socialize or try to get to know other people in the office. Another person said a difficult friend always offers unsolicited advice and is always making cutting comments about other people. Now, even if a lot of people would agree that these behaviors aren't enjoyable to be around, just allowing each of these people the freedom or the right to act the way they do eases up a little bit of the judgment that we have on them. Just saying, hey, they get to be the way they want to be. Now, people don't always get to choose the consequences for what they do, but they do get to choose how they act. 
people are totally free to drive double the speed limit, but they might get caught. They'll get fines. They'll lose their license, but they can drive whatever speed they want. A very old couple out for a Sunday drive always has the right to drive half the speed limit if they want to. So we also see in different cultures that different behaviors are acceptable. Even within like the different societies that we live close by, there are different unwritten rules of what's acceptable and what isn't. Some cultures are always on time and never late, whereas other cultures have unwritten rules that it's totally okay and even expected to arrive two hours late to an event and that the event's going to go all night. Okay, so the second foundation tool or concept that I want to share with you that I've been trained on through the Life Coach School is the concept of emotional childhood and emotional adulthood. Children are developing emotionally and mentally, and they're learning to control their emotions. And they often think that something outside of them is creating the emotion of them being angry or being happy. They think the toys on Christmas morning are making them happy. And it's, they don't realize it's the thoughts that they're thinking about the toys that are creating those emotions. Sitting alone at lunch doesn't make them feel sad or feel rejected. It's their thoughts or our thoughts about sitting alone that create those emotions. So emotional childhood is blaming other people or something outside of us for our emotions. And emotional adulthood, conversely, is taking responsibility for all of our emotions, the happiness on Christmas morning, even the sadness if we're left out of a social event. Other people cannot make us frustrated or angry or impatient. You see, the slow Sunday drivers, they're not causing our impatience. Our judgment and thoughts that they shouldn't be driving that slow is what's creating the emotion. So everybody listen, we are adults. We get to choose how we're going to feel. So unless we give this control to someone else, we're in control. Now, as I mentioned in episode two of Stay in Our Lane, it's our responsibility to manage our emotions and our actions and reactions. I have a friend who has a very, quote, difficult, quote, brother-in-law, and that's her opinion. And when she's in a big group of extended family, she usually only tells me about this difficult person, kind of allowing him, who doesn't really seem like he knows how to manage his own emotions, to manage her emotions. So if like 20 people are present, this is the one person that triggers her emotions. And this is very common. We all have experiences doing this. And I've allowed myself to be seemingly under the control of another person. But look at what we do unknowingly. In these situations, we hand over the management of our emotions to the people least capable to manage their own emotions. And then we're piling our emotions on top of that. So think about that the next time you get super mad at a coworker who once again says the rude and inconsiderate comments in team meetings. Is is that really the person you want to hand over your emotional management to? Probably not. Okay, so the third concept and foundation tool that I want to get to before we 
really talk about tips for handling these people is the idea we can't control other people. Really, we can't. If anyone could break the code on how to do that, I totally would have done it, but I haven't. Yes, there's manipulation and there's threatening, but that's by no means an adult or mature way to function in the world. And it won't create the emotional results we want. It's better to just admit we can't control other people and the world actually runs a lot better when we focus on just controlling ourselves. Okay, so we wanna remember these foundation concepts. Number one, other people get to act or behave any way they want. Second, we want to operate from emotional adulthood where we take responsibility for our emotions and we don't blame other people or we don't think there's like an invisible rattlesnake biting us with venom. And third, we can't control other people and we really don't want to. So I now have five awesome tips and tools for you to use to manage your thoughts and emotions around the people that you find difficult to be around or maybe the people that you find yourself just really dwelling on all the negative aspects of their personality. Now, before I go on, I want you to think of someone in particular. Is there someone that you were in a meeting with recently or maybe a family member you saw recently, a volunteer at your child's school or youth activity? Picture them and think of the last thing they did that made you so frustrated or angry. Okay, so you have them in mind. Now, the first tool is ask yourself this question. Why is it a problem that this person acts this way? What problems are they causing? A lot of the time, our response to this is that they should act a different way. Hmm. When you hear yourself and the answer has should, then keep asking, well, why should they do that? A lot of times, the only problem with difficult people is that we just don't like how they're acting. Now, there are some situations when a difficult or toxic person is doing something like abuse, physical or emotional or the likes. So the answer to this question is going to go deeper. This is a problem because they're violating my physical space. It's a problem because I don't trust them anymore. It's a problem because I know I should be treated differently. Okay, now those are extreme situations and you're gonna want to keep the negative emotions that are created by your thoughts about what this person does. And in most cases, you will want to create stronger boundaries or even just delete this person from your life. In most of the cases that I work with clients on, and also in my life, the difficult and annoying and maybe toxic people do things their own way. They have their own style, if you will, of interacting with the world. And when we ask ourselves, why is it a problem that my neighbor parks a crashed car out front of our house? Or why is it a problem that my friend is chronically 15 minutes late when we meet? You can get clean on what your opinions are about how a neighbor or a friend should act. Then you can assess the situation, taking responsibility for what you can control and what they can control. Many times, 
the biggest problem is that you have to do a little bit more just to get to the goal or the result that you're working on with this person. I find in most of the cases when we ask, okay, why is this a problem? Most of the time, the answer really quickly gets to, well, it really isn't a problem. Now, many years ago, I worked with another young woman who I would have described as difficult. And if I had really asked myself this question then, why is it a problem that she acts this way? The answer would have been, well, she's just annoying and I don't think she should be. Well, I guess I just found the answer to my question in other ways. Maybe this just really wasn't a problem. Our brains many times are going to focus on the one person who seems to be the most negative or is acting the way we don't think other people should act. And then we end up using so much valuable brain energy trying to figure out like what are they doing and judging them and thinking of ways in which they're doing everything wrong. But asking this question, why is it a problem maybe that this person ignores me, always is going to give us insight into our opinions and even our self-worth. So is your brain telling you that there's danger by this person acting this way, that maybe they're going to treat you in a certain way? And then as you assess the reality of the situation, you'll see, okay, it really isn't a problem that they're acting this way. And we have to tell our brains, okay, this really isn't a threat. They get to act whatever way they want to act. Okay, so the next tool is to get curious. Why do you think this person is acting this way? What motivation do they maybe have for acting the way they do act? Now, this allows us to see things from their perspective. I was recently talking with a friend about a person that we would both describe as difficult or annoying. And as we got curious as to why this person acts the way they do and seemingly tries to make things harder for everyone in the group, I could see that this person is maybe threatened or scared about their membership in the group. So the annoyingness was a little less annoying when we could see some insecurity on their part. So why do you think your friend is always 15 minutes late? What could be going on in her life nonstop that creates this time management problem? And is it possible that she's amazingly fantastic at lots of other parts of her life, but time management isn't her strength? And curiosity is going to lessen that negative emotion you feel and hopefully get you to a place of compassion. Curiosity gets us out of our heads and the limited perspective we have and allows us to see how other people perceive the world and maybe even how we are difficult for other people. So as you're getting curious, ask yourself, how am I acting the way they are acting? Am I mirroring their difficult or toxic behavior? If I think someone is really negative or judgmental, well, I'm being negative and judgmental by even saying that about them. I love how curiosity also allows us to see that there are a lot of right ways to do something, maybe right ways to respond to emails, texts, or so forth, or to not respond. Is it possible that in curiosity, you see how the way someone does something is really loving and is helping them manage their emotions and their boundaries? Okay, 
For our third tool, and this ties in many of our foundation concepts, don't expect this person to change. Toxic and difficult and annoying people are the way they are. We shouldn't expect them to change and they have every right to be how they are. We want to use curiosity to help us find ways to see them compassionately and also see why they might act the way they do and not expect them to change. We are the ones that have the problem with how they act. They don't have the problem. And this is where we have to watch ourselves when we answer the why is it a problem, when we answer, oh, this person should do this. This is us having like an instruction manual for other people. And it always sets us up for resentment and disappointment because other people aren't going to change. How much time do we waste hoping people will change? It's such a waste of our precious brain energy. I love this quote. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. Now people might change, but they don't have to. They get to act any way they want. Last year, both of my sons had at least one teacher who really challenged them. And they thought these teachers didn't like them. They described the teachers as difficult. And it was a really good experience in our home to help them with thoughts that they could think before they went into the classroom to really empower them. And we would teach them, okay, you know, what can you learn from Mrs. Smith today? Okay, we tried to get them thinking, okay, Mrs. Smith is the queen of this subject. Like, how would I act if my teacher is the queen? Now, they're teenagers, so I'm not sure how much of this really sunk in, but we offered suggestions on how they're responsible for how they act, and they don't have to blame the teacher, and they don't have to expect the teacher to necessarily change. Okay, so the fourth tool is decide how you want to feel about this person and how you want to act around them. By thinking about the answers to these questions before you're around them, you are deliberately choosing your thoughts, feelings, and actions and staying in emotional adulthood. You aren't blaming the other person. So when you think about this difficult person, do you want to feel curious So instead of quickly judging their inappropriate behavior, maybe you have a constant stream in your head of the thought, hmm, I wonder why they have to dominate every conversation and only talk about themselves. Maybe you want to feel compassion and love. What do you need to think to feel those emotions around them? Okay, maybe I'm so sorry my sister-in-law feels in competition with me. It must be hard to walk in her shoes. Or the thought, I don't know every battle that this person is fighting. Maybe you want to access confidence or empowerment when you have felt insecure around someone. You could think, oh, it doesn't matter what this person thinks of me. I know I'm awesome and they don't have to like me. You don't have to choose a positive or happy emotion around people. At times you might choose to feel disappointed or hesitant or even indifferent but it's an emotion you choose and you own that you're creating it for yourself. So someone in a very abusive relationship 
will be showing the most love to themselves if they choose to feel hurt or even scared. And these emotions then might propel them to protect themselves, which is very useful and appropriate. So once you determine the specific emotion that you want to feel around this person, ask yourself how you want to act around them. So you aren't in reaction mode. How do you want to talk to them? What do you want to say with your body language? Can you smile and make eye contact even if they don't reciprocate it? Remember, you're only in control and in charge of your actions. What does kindness and curiosity and compassion look like? How can you look and act welcoming and open, not defensive or paranoid? Maybe you rehearse actions and a conversation where you lovingly put down boundaries around your interactions with someone. You limit the time that you're together so you can control your emotions. That's one way to act. I definitely have to do this. There are some people who just push the limits of my brain energy to manage my emotions around them. But my boundaries are to help me continue to feel love and acceptance. It's not to punish or to hurt someone. And this practice of preparing ahead of time how you want to feel and rehearsing the thoughts to create that emotion and then intentionally choosing how you want to act is the ultimate in taking control of your life, your brain, and respecting that other people are in charge of themselves and showing that we love them exactly as they are, imperfect, just like us. The best example of this comes from my friend, Susan. She is a manager at a company and was told over a year ago that she was getting a new boss who had a reputation for being very difficult. This boss didn't know a lot about their business unit work, and lots of people were not happy about her coming to manage them, including Susan's peer, another manager. But Susan had the wisdom before the new boss started to mentally decide, I get to choose how I experience this new boss. I don't have to believe what everyone says about how difficult she is. I get to be open-minded. I can offer to help her get to know our business, and I'm going to have the best attitude I can. And Susan says that her coworker took a completely different approach. He was bitter. He was negative from the beginning. He didn't want her being there. But Susan was taking responsibility for her feelings and her actions and how she experienced this, quote, difficult person. And many months later, Susan found that she had developed a good relationship with this person. She didn't like all of the decisions that they were making, but she decided, okay, I'm going to try some of these new processes and I'm going to be open to learning new things. And this new boss became a great mentor to Susan. She was really grateful for the assistance that she had provided. And then she submitted Susan's name for a big promotion in the company, which she got. And the other negative coworker is still struggling. And I think he's maybe left the company. But look how Susan chose curiosity and determination and humility and openness. And she showed up as her highest self. And she ended up getting a nice promotion out of it. Now, that might not always be the result for all of us. But it's a great example of how to maturely deal with a difficult person. Okay, you guys, this is the fifth and final and most awesome mental tool 
I learned this from Dr. Brene Brown, who is like an idol of mine. This is simple, but it's very powerful. Think of the most difficult person in your life. Okay, picture them. Who do you dread seeing the most day at work or at the family reunion or in the neighborhood or maybe at your child's school? Like, see them doing all of the toxic and annoying and difficult things. Now, ask yourself, what if they are doing the very best they can? They're behaving at the highest level they can. They are emotionally at their highest. They don't know any better. They are doing the best they can. This is particularly useful when we find ourselves judging another person, what they aren't doing, thinking they should be doing something else based on a level of performance that we expect. But what if they're doing the very best they can? What if their best is a different best than what we would do? Just thinking this thought usually softens significantly the anger we can feel towards someone. And it helps us get to a place of legitimate curiosity. I remember years ago being upset at a family member. And when I sat totally in this place of accepting that they were doing the very best they could and that I'm the jerk for not loving them where they are, I was able to feel a hundred times better about them. And I stopped reading into their behavior or lack of behavior. And I accessed compassion and understanding and was able to show up as a much better version of myself. And honestly, I am so incredibly grateful for friends and family who offer this same understanding and love to me. I know they do. I appreciate it. And it makes me want to be a better person. So I always think of the person, even the one who cuts me off in traffic or jumps ahead of me in line at Target, they're honestly doing the best they can. They don't know any better. And these small ways of accepting people as they are lets me practice so I can do it in bigger situations and more profound relationships and interactions. And the reality is I'm the one who benefits from the work of feeling compassion and not anger. My thoughts and emotions can't jump into their bodies or bite them or inflict them with venom or even love. I like the idea of asking ourselves, what would love do in any situation? What does kindness to a stranger or a coworker or a family member look like? How can I be an example of that? Then let's do it. Let's then show up with that love and kindness and compassion and understanding just because it's fun. So thanks again for listening and remember to rate and review. Hi, this is Heidi in iTunes. Every review by October 26th will get an entry for the Amazon gift card. And I'd love to show you how applying these tools to a specific situation in your life can literally be life-changing. The best way to do that is to sign up for a free coaching session. You can access me through my website, Heidi Benjaminson. That's S-E-N, HeidiBenjaminson.com. We will apply these tools to any, quote, difficult person in your life, and you're the one that gets to feel the change. See you next week.